Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. is Arsecast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. James, goodly morning to you. Goodly morning, Andrew. How you doing? I'm good. I'm liking shit. Shit is good. I like the shit. I know, mate. It's, oh, it's good. It's good. Sun's um, out here as well. No, nah, not here. I mean, I'm not talking about the weather. I'm not, we can't control the weather. All we it can just control... It feels like it's all... It's all coming together. Right. Out. I'm still playing well. Beautiful. Yeah, well, it's pissing rain here, but Arsenal are playing well. <laughs> you can't have it all, though. Oh, Andrew. hang on. Hang it. on. I'm up. Oh, yes. I see. I see a... Hang on. There is a very slight break in the greyness. Some blue is coming through. The sun is going to shine through the window as we record this podcast, because I think that's what we and Arsenal deserve after another very good day um, in the Premier League. It's, uh, it's, it's fun. Oh, I could get used to this mm. games. Uh, I loved it. It was great. Really exactly what we would have wanted. Um, you know, got the goals, got the clean sheet, got the three points. Lovely. I'll be reveling in it. Until Wednesday. <laughs> Until, well, I mean, look, all we can do in the meantime is just enjoy what we've done and what we've been doing. And, you know, Wednesday is a different beast. Let's face it. There's no two ways about that. But, um, yeah. Let's forget about that for now. Let's not worry about it yet. We'll cross that particular very scary bridge when we come to it. Uh, but for now, I think we should obviously talk about um, Arsenal-Leicester. Were you there as a, a fan or in your um, in your capacity as uh, a, a writer, journalist, or what was it yesterday? <laughs> Just remember, trying to remember what I do there. I think... Um, <laughs> Yeah, I was there as a fan. I was in my season ticket mm. and uh, I loved it. Atmosphere was great. Uh, there was a moment when they went over to check the penalty. I mean, it was a protracted uh, check. Yes. Uh, real reluctance to award us a penalty as usual. <laughs> but How as can referee- we not give this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Please. For the sake of Jamie O'Hara, we must find a way. Um, but as the referee kind of, you know, uh, sulked over to look at the screen mm. despondently. Um, the whole stadium was just kind of had this big chant of Arsenal, 
Arsenal. And it was just building and building mm. as people knew the penalty was coming because, you know, there's that anticipation of it's yeah, going yeah, yeah, over, yeah, yeah. we're going to get it. And it was rocking. It was loud. And I felt like it kind of summed up the momentum that we have, you know, this sense of something yeah. really building at the present time. And I, I, I actually had, like, my hair stood up on the back of my neck. I was like, you know, the catchphrase of the past few weeks has been something is happening here. And mm. Once again, I walked away from the Emirates Stadium thinking something really, really is happening here. Do you know what it is yet? I mean, you keep saying something. No, I've got no idea, you know, actually. <laughs> any idea what it actually is? You know, can you be more specific about this? You know, something, it's pretty much a catch-all. If it doesn't happen, you can say, well, it was something, but we weren't sure what it was. I know what you mean. I do know what you mean. There is definitely something brewing here, and what? that is... Do you want me to put it into words? Go on, yeah. I think, I think it's a team that is coming together in a really exciting way that has, over the course of this season, overcome a considerable amount of doubt and forged a connection with the fans, not simply the fans in the stadium, but obviously that's a big part of what's going on, but forged a connection with the fans, convinced us that there were things that were missing from this team that are now there, or uh, you know what I mean? There, there mm. were things that we thought were missing that they're now showing us. And this is, as we've said before, a group of really likable players who aren't just nice lads, but who can fucking play as well. Mm. And we can see perhaps more clearly than we ever possibly could before under Mikel Arteta what is happening, what the progress is, what the development is. And if I can use a phrase or a, an expression that, you know, people might raise their eyebrows a little at, but, you know, when we talk about the ceiling, in football, like what is the ceiling for this team? What is, you know, that, that what is their potential? The more I look at it, the more I think the ceiling could be quite high, like Empire yeah, yeah. State Building high. <laughs> I'm not over egging this pudding here at all, you know? No, there were quite a few moments in yesterday's game where I just thought, you know what? I think, I think we're pretty good. Yeah. I think we're pretty good right now. Like, I'm not saying we're world beaters. But we are a good team, uh, and it's a team that functions. It's a team that works. Everyone seems to know their job. Mm. They seem to love playing with each other, playing for this manager. Uh, they're enjoying it. When problems arise, we show a capacity to learn at the present time, which I think I think that's really exciting, actually, as Arsenal fans, because for so many years, it's felt like our problems were kind of endemic and things mm. we didn't get over. But I think the benefit of, I guess, the youth is, is that they learn, right? They learn on the job. And I think we did things in this game better than we did them last week, you know? Mm. And that's really promising. That was something Arteta actually spoke about afterwards in his Sky Sports interview. And he was um, asked, you know, what pleased him most about the team? And I, I'm going to paraphrase here, but he said the way that we reacted to, you know, in-game situations when we couldn't find the yeah. spaces or whatever it was, you know, we solved those problems in the game. And obviously he can have an impact on that. His coaching staff can have an impact uh, on that as well. But I think there is something to the way the players themselves are dealing with situations and, and um, scenarios in the game. Because, you know, the final 15, 20 minutes of that first half was pretty much all Leicester. Mm -hmm. And there were moments where I thought, you know, there was a period where Leicester had 
a load of possession. And we got a goal kick. And I was thinking, should we not take this short? Should we not take a short goal kick and build some possession, keep the ball for a little while? And we went long with it, and I think Leicester got it back. And um, I'm not sure that was ideal. But but in the second half, you know, we were able to, to deal with um, those situations a lot better where we did have a lot more control. So I, I still think there's room for improvement. And that's the, that's the really, really exciting part about this team is that you can see that there is room for improvement. I'm not trying to downplay anybody or anybody's role because I think everybody contributed in a really positive way. But you can see that there are things not just in the positions that people talk about as the obvious ones that we can uh, upgrade on in the transfer market, but even within the players that we have in the games or, or, or the, um, the, the players in the positions that they're playing in, I think there's more to come from these players, which is really, really encouraging. Yeah, massively so. And, and that, that point about possession and goal kicks is an interesting one, actually, when we get on to the second half mm. we can uh, offer some hashtag insight from uh, oh, my seat in the ground about what I witnessed there. But yeah, I, I think um, in some respects, sort of going two goals up and having to kind of control the game is kind of was kind of the perfect training exercise for this Arsenal team who sort of struggled to do that a bit against mm. Watford. And I thought, as you say, adapted, adjusted, learned in-game and improved in that respect. So I yeah. thought this was a... A really satisfying result and a very, very deserved win. It, it surely was. And obviously, you know, having um, seen what Manchester United did the night before uh, against mm-hmm. Tottenham, moving back uh, above us. And actually, when the game kicked off, we were down into sixth because West Ham had won as well. So, um, yeah. you know, Wolves there was... one two this weekend. Yeah. Um, uh, how did you <laughs> feel about the United result, just I, quickly? Look, I... I I bemoan or regret or whatever it is being put in a position where I'm slightly happy that Cristiano Ronaldo scored goals. I resent that in many ways, but I feel that in the, in the wider context of the top four chase, I think Tottenham losing is probably the better result for us. Even if both teams would have dropped some points with a draw, I just think Tottenham losing is better considering we do have those three games in hand on on Manchester United. What about you? I'm with you, actually, and United have got to come to us, Mm. whereas we've got to go to Spurs. United have still got to go to Anfield. That fixture's being rearranged now. Um, We've obviously got the games in hand on them. I just think, you know, Spurs got a result that nobody anticipated at Manchester City. If they'd gone and won at Old Trafford too, mm. uh, you know, I, I wouldn't have liked that. They were coming off the back of a big win as well over uh, Everton. I think another positive result would have given them some momentum. Mm. So, yeah, I, I think them losing was completely... Sorry, them winning, I should say, was completely yeah. unpalatable to me. And I think them losing might have actually been my preference. But, of course difficult to take too much satisfaction from it when yeah. it makes Cristiano Ronaldo. Sure, sure. But look, I, I think this is... Um, not everything is going to go our way in this race for a top four. And we have to be focused on what we've got to do. So I don't necessarily see stuff like United going back into the top four as a, a bad thing per se, if you know what I mean. Because there is this mantra of 
the team, the manager, everybody going game by game. It was quite funny to to watch Thomas Partey and Martin Odegaard um, afterwards on Sky Sports talking about it, that we're just going game by game. That's our mentality. That's what we've got mm-hmm. to do. Arteta came out, said pretty much the same. We've got to go game by game. We're in a good position, but there's still a lot to fight for, game by game by game by game. So when you're preparing for a game and when you're looking at a, a league table and you think, okay, we do have these games in hand, but look at what United have done. Let's just make sure we're super focused on what we have to do. You know, I don't think that that pressure is necessarily a bad thing, you know? No, no, I don't think so. And all the players are on board with the messaging as well. Mm. Game at a time. Um, two more big games to come this week. But yeah, we've done the first part, the first part of the job very well. So where do you want to start with the start of the game? Because I think we were very good, very exciting, played well. Um, Martin Odegaard, I'm sure we're going to talk more about him. Or do you just want to talk about him now, seeing as I've started? I think let's talk I mean, about him now, yeah. Holy cow. I mean, I wanted us to sign him this summer. I think you did too when we spoke about mm-hmm. um, the recruitment and the potential of, of bringing him in. Um, that period where... It looked like Real Madrid were going to keep him when Ancelotti was appointed and they were talking about him as being, you know, part of the team. I have to say I was really disappointed because I desperately wanted us to sign him because I I looked at him and I liked what he did when he was on loan. I know he wasn't spectacular, but I thought um, there were some mitigating factors regarding his form. He had an injury and, and all the rest of it, but I wasn't expecting him to be quite at this level yet. <laughs> I, I wasn't. No. I mean, I like the player. I really like him. And I could see the potential. Um, and I could see what he could bring to the team. But what he did yesterday and what he's done over the last couple of weeks has been absolutely outstanding. I know Amy wrote about him today in The Athletic at this sense that he feels at home here at Arsenal. I think that's really, really true. He looks absolutely settled, comfortable, happy with the role that he's being asked to play, relishing the responsibility of being like the senior of the younger guys. He was just outstanding yesterday. He was, yeah. I I thought it was kind of like, he looked like the best player in the playground. You know, you just Mm. couldn't get the ball off him. And he looks like someone who's kind of in, he's in the zone right now. You know, Mm. he's experiencing flow, like everything he wants to do, he's capable of, it's all just clicking and it's brilliant to watch. I mean, when, when a player, you know, is playing first team football as he was at like 14, 15, gets picked up by Real Madrid at 16, you know there's going to be great talent there. Mm. Um, but that doesn't always guarantee a successful career. You know, there are plenty of sunny pikes of the world, like teenage stars yeah. who never actually deliver. And I think... I wonder if over the last couple of years, Odegaard sort of carried that fear of, am I just going to be someone who's a child star? Do you know what I mean? Who never really the lives Drew up to Barry my Moore of football. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, yeah. Like a Macaulay Culkin. <laughs> of, you know, another blonde, uh, blue-eyed little, uh, little uh, you know, star yeah. who never lives up to that billing in my adult life. And I think... I just get the sense that that's driving him on to these performances and he's proving that mm. he's far more than kind of a talented boy, but he's really someone who's going to be a superb footballer. Mm. And 
yesterday I thought he was sublime. And and we've made we've got a lot of good players in this team and we've made a lot of good signings. But I would say more than any other player in the squad, there have been multiple times this season when Odegaard has just looked to be the best player on the pitch. Full yeah, stop. I agree. And this was another one of those days. Um, I mean, he was sensational. Mikel Arteta must absolutely love him because yeah, I think he can barely contain it. I think I, I know because not only does he have incredible vision, there was a brilliant. Um, pass to Saka when the ball came for him just at the D and it looked like he was going to have yeah. a first time shot at goal and he just swept a pass out to Saka maybe he should have had the shot but I, I love the I love the vision and he's got this craft he's got this ability to be not only part of the good attacking football we play but he can drop deep and I think his combinations particularly in the second half with Thomas Partey just to keep the ball moving some of that one touch stuff where his pass move behind a defender get get it pick it up move it out again just helped us control the game in a way that has sometimes been an issue for the, for us you know that 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 dominance that technical security mm. whatever you want to call it but 300,000 passes well that's exactly it isn't it um all of that is there. I mean, there's. I think there's more to come from him when it comes to assists. We saw him score a great goal last week. But the work he puts in, the effort, the work rate, the diligence with which he plays in that position is unbelievable. Because one minute, he's leading the press. And I don't know if this was as noticeable in the ground, but it was certainly noticeable on TV. There were certain moments where we were standing off and then Odegaard is, he goes, he's like the trigger for the press, you know, mm -hmm. he goes forward and he's pressing the, the, the center half and the team moves with him, but you'll find him in our half and you'll find him doing the defending as well. Um, that combination of pure talent and skill with the kind of, the work that Arteta demands from his players, I mean, it's it's all there in one package. It's unbelievable. Yeah, covered more ground than any Arsenal player yesterday. Not more, for the first time. Uh, no, I doubt that very much. And uh, I don't doubt that rather. And more high-intensity uh, sprinting than any other Arsenal player. Wow. Um, so, yeah, a, a, a brilliant, complete performance. And... I think Arteta's love for him, as you put it, is is almost palpable. Really, the way he talks about him because mm. he's, he's the perfect professional, um, and he, he's become so important to this team. And I'm actually glad, you know, that yesterday's game was on telly and he put in a performance like that because I think he does deserve a bit of wider recognition, frankly, within the league for what he's been doing. Um, and uh, I hope he gets it because, yeah, he's he's been excellent. Oh, he's, do you know what? As well, though, he's fun to watch. He tries yeah. things. There are flicks and tricks which, you know, not not all of them are going to come off. But when they do, they're just they're just so enjoyable. There was one like drag back reverse pass inside the corner, on yeah. the touchline, and it's like uh, I I love that. I love just seeing players who are confident in their ability to execute something like that. Um, it, it's like the one against was it against Watford last week where he pretended mm. to kick the ball and just dummied it and let it run down the wing. You know, things like that. Football is, I don't know if I'm right to say this, but it feels like football is increasingly uh, like tennis, where there used to be all these crazy characters in tennis. 
and it became so technical and so physical and all about speed and agility and physicality and things like that not you know and the technicality obviously of of playing where sometimes those characters aren't there and i'm not saying that fucking martin odegaard is john McEnroe or one of those lunatics but he just has that desire to try things on a football pitch which i don't know that too many other players in this team have someone like bakayo saka will do but he does it in a more straight line way if you like that run that Saka went on that took him all the way into the box and maybe 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 could have been a penalty I'm not quite sure um I thought it was at first and replays weren't that convincing you know what Saka can do the way he spins his defenders the way he drives at defenses you know that that takes a sort of bravery and uh, a willingness to try things on the football pitch but it's the the craft that Odegaard brings to to moments like that, which is just so much fun. Yeah, it, there's an imagination, isn't there, in the way he plays? Mm. And it's it's funny, you know, when he arrived, there was so much debate about, uh, you know, is is it a problem? Arsenal have got Odegaard and Smith Rowe, and I think increasingly, I, mean, I think this was apparent at the time, but especially now, they're such different players, and yeah. that's not a knock on Smith Rowe, but they really, really are. I mean, Smith Rowe is a guy who. He's a sprinter and a dribbler and a runner and a finisher. And Odegaard, you know, is is much more of a kind of a magician, really, in mm. terms of what he does on the field, connecting things up and looking for those through passes and little touches here and there. Um, and that's why, you know, he and other, us other forwards all complement each yeah. other very well. So, yeah, I, I, I thought he was, you know, he, he he's the kind of player, he is a modern flair player yeah you know that's what we're saying really he plays with skill and imagination but he combines that with hard work and he he wouldn't look out of place in some some very good arsenal teams of the past no that's very true that's very true and i I like the fact that afterwards he spoke about the work that granite jack and thomas Partey do uh, which allows him as he said to to be as comfortable as he is further up the pitch Mm. Um, and I think there's there's something to that. And I think we obviously need to have a, a little bit of uh, chat about Thomas Partey as well, because he has been maybe quietly one of our best players for the last couple of months. Mm. Um, not quite as um, visibly, how do I say it? You know what I mean? That there are... When when it's Odegaard, when he's playing further forward, you're looking at what he brings to the team. It's eye catching. Yeah, it's yeah. more eye catching, exactly. But what Partey is doing, I mean, some of the some of the turns yesterday, some of the the passes through the lines, the vertical passing in midfield, the physicality, the the presence, the tackling, uh, the positioning. It's near perfect defensive midfield play. And that is playing a very important role in how much more effective this team is from an attacking perspective as well. Yeah, he's been brilliant. And, you know, those two in particular knocking the ball around to each other was a sight to behold Mm. at times yesterday. I I think actually having that trio of uh, Shaka, Partey and Odegaard together has been a a key factor in Arsenal's improvement. Mm. Um, I saw a stat floating around and I I can't remember it exactly, but I think they actually barely played together like up until December. I think it was once or twice they were actually all on the pitch from the start at the same time. I think it was in Amy's piece, was it? Um, May have been. You keep talking, I'll look it up here. Okay. And I think having that trio, I mean, there is a big 
significant drop off I think from some of those guys to, to what's behind them as we know there's a bit of a depth issue there but having those guys together has been fantastic Party has been really good you know when he signed for Arsenal we were kind of told he, he he's coming to Arsenal because he wants to take on more responsibility, a bigger role in the team. And I think a, a lot of us, and maybe even Party himself, imagined that that meant, you know, playing in a kind of more box-to-box fashion or mm. taking on attacking aspects to his game, you know, playing through passes, firing off shots. And what's really interesting is that actually the way in which he's taking responsibility now as that kind of deep pivot is so much more valuable to us and to the team and he looks superb doing it. I mean, his ability to take the ball under pressure, to receive it off the centre-backs, the goalkeeper, to turn, to play forward passes between the line, to feed someone like Odegaard quickly mm. is really valuable. I thought yesterday in the spells where Leicester had the ball, you know, substantially. So, I mean, the first five minutes, they had it quite mm. a lot. And then the last 15 minutes of the half, Partey was the guy who... I thought was most effective in terms of winning it back. You know, he was the guy who was chasing stuff down and being physical when we needed him to be. Uh, yeah, him and Odegaard mm. in the centre of the pitch is uh, a, a revelation for us right now. Uh, yeah, it was. The uh, stat you mentioned was in, in Amy's piece, um, and she writes, up until December, Partey, Odegaard and Shaka were chosen as an ensemble only once. Arteta's pleasure in being able to lock in this midfield is obvious. They've started together in 10 of the last 11 Premier League matches. He welcomes the consistency and the cohesion it brings. And I think there is something, you know, very obvious um, to that. Um, Mm -hmm. It is a good trio. Um, It's effective. It works well. um, And results are showing how important it is to have that consistency of selection. I think that's also true of where we are defensively. I know we've had a few issues with with Tommy Asu not being out, but essentially we've had the same kind of back four, back five for most of the season. Cedric has come in now and at least is playing consistently as well. So there is something to that consistency of selection, which is informing or or helping this team. um, Yeah. I mean, I I don't know what more to say about it than that. It's just, it's settled and it's, it's working. There's no two ways about it. Yeah, the on-field relationships mm. are, are really building. And yeah, I mean, look, we've been coping with that Tomiyasu, but as you say, Cedric's got consistent game time and I think that's benefited him. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think Partey and Odegaard may be the obvious stars, but I think that there, was, there were a lot of good individual performances in this game. I mean, mm. I thought Ben White was... was Excellent as well. Yeah, um, another really good game from him. Both, I mean, the central defenders, centre defenders. Yeah. If, if we talk about what Thomas Partey is doing in defensive midfield, I don't think we can ignore the the platform that Ben White and Gabriel give him behind him. You know, he's not he's not overly concerned with what's happening behind him. You know what I mean? I think he no. can trust those two guys to to basically give him that 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 base from which he can do his stuff, which for the most part is getting the ball forward or um, you know distributing it distributing it to the wider areas. Um, you know, Shaq in that forward role, more forward role, et cetera, et cetera. So those two, you know, were excellent. Um, I thought Martinelli had his moments. Saka had mm-hmm. his moments as well. Um, 
yeah, I mean, it's just a very pleasing performance, particularly when we did have to go through that period in the first half when Leicester got a foothold in the game and then really, if not quite turned the screw, they certainly had lots of possession. They had a, a very good chance um, with Harvey Barnes with the header. Can I play you this? I enjoyed this. This was the Spanish commentary when the Harvey Barnes chance um, happened. I'm going to play it all the way through because you can hear them react to the replays. Uh, we've all seen the replay of Brendan Rodgers turning around and going, yeah. wow. Frustrated Brendan. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What, a, what a great save. Wow. Great <laughs> save, though. Um, but this is the Spanish commentary. I'm just going to play it through here for a few seconds, and you can hear them react out loud to the replays. So here it goes. Corto para O'Brien out in el centro! Espectacular manotazo, le arranca la etiqueta de gol esa pelota y la manda al tiro de esquina. Ahí sí, Rogers lo asienta. Qué atajada. Nos quedamos con el mismo gesto. Gran centro de All Brighton. Caramelito para Barnes. Arquero notable. Oh. Qué atajada. Uh. Woo. Woo. <laughs> that was the one where it's behind the goal and he's a woo. Um, I mean, that was, a, that was a fantastic save. Leicester must be sick of the sight of Aaron Ramsdale this season. They really must, yeah. He finds another level mm. when he plays them. That was a big save and an important one because they did come back to it. I have a kind of a, a sort of developing theory about that, which is that sometimes, and it happened a bit against Watford too, when we go in front, I think we can get sucked into a kind of transition-y game because we've got these wide forwards who are so mm. good breaking into space and we've got Odegaard who, you know, is a bit loose, drops into space, can play those through balls. I almost feel like when the going's good, we get tempted to try and uh, adopt that style. The counter-attacking. Kind of, you know, yeah, yeah, because we're, cause we're good at it. Mm. And I think, but I think it's... Um, and it's, it's exciting to watch as well when it ha when it happens. But I think that it's it doesn't exert the kind of control Arteta wants, and you know he wants the team to have their foot on the ball and control the game yeah. in that way, rather than kind of letting it become a bit basketbally and hoping that you know we win out on the counters. Um, but yeah, I, I I think we we really did change that in the second half. And to be fair, by the time they had that spell, we could have been two 0 up because Thomas Partey he got his goal, but he Oof. also Hit the, hit the woodwork with a yeah. brilliant effort. And that, that was a great move as well. One that started from the goalkeeper, went right up the other end and would have been a fantastic goal. It really would have. And there was a brilliant Ben White tackle as well in the box yeah, um, when Leicester did threaten. Good. But I think a really interesting aspect of, of that particular passage of play is that Gabriel Martinelli is in there. He's central. He tracks his runner. I think he gets a little uh, nick on the ball, which um, moves it away from, I think it's Madison. And um, he just does enough to sort of not quite put him off, but it means he has to take an extra touch, which allows Ben White to get the tackle. And from there, we, we spark a counter attack, which ends up with Martinelli in their box, taking a shot, which yeah. is blocked away. But if that doesn't sum up exactly what Mikel Arteta is looking for from his players... I, I don't know what does. You know, he has to have that from uh, uh, both ends, you know, that diligence, that, that duty, your responsibility to do what you need to do at both ends of the pitch, highlighted very um, succinctly there. Absolutely, yeah. And, and Martinelli, I thought, you know, had his threatening moments. Obviously, he supplied the corner, I think, which party nodded in. Yeah. But there were a couple of times in the second half where he 
just skipped beyond his marker. There was one where he sort of lifted the ball over yeah. the defender on the outside. That was a brilliant wasn't piece of skill. Wasn't that something? Yeah, his close control is yeah. is amazing. And he's always a threat, I think. Even when he doesn't score, you know, that, that threat is always there. So, um, yeah, I think that work rate is something that all the team have to show. And at the moment, thankfully, most of them are. So um, the penalty then, it came after a period mm. of pressure, you know, where we had started the second half very well. And I think Schmeichel had made a save from Saka. That was actually oh. from that move when Martinelli lifted the ball beyond and Lacazette had a shot right. blocked. It came back across. Um, what about the penalty? I mean, uh, it was the faintest of touches from Soyuncu. But if a goalkeeper gets a fingertip on a save and pushes the ball around the post, everyone talks about what a brilliant save it was. So whether it's fingertips or whether it's the fucking middle of his hand, it doesn't make that much difference. Yeah. If it was Ramsdale, we'd be clipping it up, wouldn't we? And yeah, yeah, yeah. Social media. Ooh. England's number one. Ooh. So, yeah, I, I think it is a penalty. Um, I think it absolutely is a penalty. I, I guess the grounds for not sending him off is that there was the guy on the yeah. line behind him, right? Which seems kind of fair enough. I mean, it wasn't the cleanest contact from Partey. I was the other end and I just couldn't believe we hadn't scored in that moment because... You know, I saw Schmeichel make what looked like a decent save and then it came to Partey. And mm. in my head, I was like, that's a goal. Like, he was six yards out, yeah, yeah, header yeah. goal. Um, so I was mightily relieved when they when they gave the penalty. I thought it was interesting what Arteta said. Did you see this quote about, we have someone on the bench who's yeah. designated to watch the replays and give a kind of clean verdict so he you know yeah. he was like they told me it's a penalty <laughs> yeah not one of the crazy guys who's always sure, shouting and yeah. screaming it was like somebody who was actually would say nah i don't think that's a penalty. someone very penalty. chilled out it's probably pepe someone like that you know just someone very <laughs> relaxed <laughs> yeah, um, maybe. but uh yeah i i thought it i thought it, it was a penalty i mean you know they really took a long mm. time i mean you guys had the benefits of the replays we did not and we i i wasn't 100 percent sure even what had gone on. So, but it, the longer it went, the mm, more you felt like they're going to get it. It was strange because there was a number of replays, like all the Arsenal players were shouting for handball as the ball was cleared. I saw them on the TV shouting for handball and then there was a bit of confusion. They played uh, the first replay and I went, nah, nah, he hasn't. He's put his hand out, but I don't think he's touched it. But then eventually they showed a replay from behind the goal where you can see him put his hand out and it just skim off his fingertips. You could see it quite clearly from from that particular replay, but it wasn't super obvious straight away, you know? Um, right. It was one of those where I think they had to go back and forward with it a few times to to make sure. And then that one replay, which is actually, thankfully, the one that they showed uh, Anthony Taylor, because I was going, <laughs> which replay are they going to show him? They'll show him the one <laughs> yeah. that's completely inconclusive and he'll stand there going, well, I don't fucking know. What am I supposed to do here? Um, but they did show him that one, and it was uh, it was obviously a penalty. Um, Leicester weren't happy with the the actual penalty, were they? I, I don't know if it was the stuttered runner, was it, or Saka encroaching? But I don't know. I mean, I don't know why Schmeichel is complaining about a stuttered run up when he's about two, three yards off his line by mm. the time the ball is kicked. So by it's rights, a very good penalty. It is a great penalty. To be fair, when the goalkeeper goes the right way. Um, you've got to be super precise and put it somewhere where it just can't be saved. And that's exactly, exactly what he did. You know, I think he's a, a very, very good penalty taker, Lacazette. But I won't lie. I will admit that there were some 
worries on my part. When when a striker hasn't scored for however long it is, two and a half months there or thereabouts, even when it is a penalty, and even when he does have a very good track record from the penalty spot, um, I was a little bit concerned. They put up the graphic on Sky, you know, where they show like the last five penalties that a striker has taken or whatever, and they were all to the right-hand side, all of them. And they were going, which way is Schmeichel going to dive? Which way is Lacazette going to put it? And he did put it in the other side. And Schmeichel decided, I think this time he's going to put it the other way. But he couldn't get anywhere near it, even when he did come off his line. And his rage was um, very, very entertaining to me. It's hereditary rage. You know, we all remember Peter. (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting because he went for the stuttered run-up Lacazette. And if you watch the replay... Schmeichel kind of gives nothing away. Like if, if Lacazette's watching, thinking, well, I'll just watch Schmeichel and see which way he goes. Schmeichel kind of, he bounces one way, then the other, but he doesn't commit to one side. And I, I don't know if Lacazette's mind is already made up at that point, but at that point, it's got to be a really good yeah. penalty. He's got to really find the top corner. And he did, and you're right. When you haven't scored for a while, there's a an added pressure in that scenario. It was a big moment, you know. It was, it was probably the game on that moment because... Leicester had had a decent little spell at the end of the first half and, you know, yeah. uh, this sort of um, took the wind out of their sails and, and put Arsenal in a comfortable position. So yeah. I was pleased for him to deliver. No, no, I don't think he was... He wasn't doing the Aubameyang thing. I think he'd made his mind up where he was going to put it. He wasn't looking to see where the goalkeeper was going before he decided where he was going to put mm. it. You know that way? When you look, he's not even looking. It takes a quick peek, but... Oh, maybe he does, actually. Maybe he does. I, I don't know. I, I wonder if he does have a look. Maybe I mean, he does is, have a look, yeah. But it was I so emphatic. Does, but, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, maybe he does. But if he does, he doesn't get any help from Schmeichel, is what I'm saying. Like, he's not... Some keepers by then have gone. Um, Schmeichel hadn't. Yeah. And then, I guess it's just, can you put it far enough in the corner? And he, he does. And, uh, yeah, listen, I mean, give him a shot 12 yards out with no defenders around him and he's, he's a very good finisher. <laughs> Just of the ball. Well, no, but, <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> no, but I, I, listen, I, I think um, I think he played well yesterday, yeah. and uh, I just think it's good. It's good for strikers to get goals. Oh, sure, he need he needed that. You know, he absolutely needed. It. I know we talked about the the goal against Wolves, inverted comma goal against Wolves that you know went down as a oh, yeah. went down yeah. as an own goal. But we we sort of credited Lacazette with that. But at the end of the day. It's not going on your stat sheet, you know. It's not one. It's not one you can actually claim, even if you were like ninety nine percent responsible for it, you know. So to get a goal at last, um, which I think is just reward for the work that he's done over the last number of weeks, um, you know, and, and good to see. And I think from there, some of the football we played was just absolutely outstanding. Some of the mm. one touch passing, the way we controlled the ball, the way we moved with it. Um, there's that one move that's doing the rounds on social yeah. media, which ends with Odegaard almost, almost clipping yeah. a pass through to Lacazette. It just gets cut out. But yeah. some of the interplay and the build-up to that, sensational, would have been you know one of our goals of the season if we'd managed to get away with it. Um, what do you take from that? What do you When you look at Arsenal playing that way, um, I mean, is that a confidence thing? Is it growing technical um, connections between the various areas of the team? Is it... Yeah, I'm, I'm just curious because, you know, I think one of the reasons people have taken a little bit of time to be convinced about what's happening or where we're going um, 
is that at times we didn't seem capable of of that. And I'm not saying that that is the be all and end all of football, but it is very pleasing to watch your team move the ball around like that, move the opposition around like that, to show that level of understanding and the technical ability to play the right pass time after time after time after time. And I think, you know, I, I, personally, when I look at what's happening, it's moments like that, it's passages of play like that, that not that they give me the most confidence, but that I really see progress in, you know? Definitely. And, and you know, we've mentioned this a couple of times already, but Arteta spoke literally a week ago about Arsenal needing to do that better mm. to kind of control the game, to pass opponents into submission. And and we did that brilliantly, I thought, against Leicester. But, I mean, for a start, it's just very fun. I mean, you know, yeah. the LAs were out yesterday. It's entertaining. And I, I as Arsenal not fans... I not mad for <laughs> <laughs> No, neither am I. They make me nervous and I I don't like them. But the, but I can understand where yeah, they come yeah, from. Yeah, 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 Because of the football was, you know, sumptuous. It was brilliant. Very easy on the eye. Uh, I think there is more technical quality in the team than there was a year ago, certainly. I think the understanding is better. I think the confidence is high. How can it not be, you know, fifth consecutive win? Um... I think it's all those things. I think all the work on the training ground, on the shape of the team. You know, we speak about Odegaard playing that pass out to Saka on the right without even looking. And yes, a lot of that is down to Odegaard's individual skill. But also it is that sense of intuition of knowing where your teammates are, of, you know, mm. understanding the shape. It's it's all clicking together right now. And, yeah. um you know, I, I say that with as as ever with a degree of caution because there's two difficult fixtures, uh, one very difficult fixture coming up in the next few days. But I don't think whatever happens there will change the fact that this is a team that's making really good strides. And, uh, you know, they did the job at the weekend. Uh, just on the sort of distribution mm. points that we touched on earlier. So at the start of the second half, I think maybe there was one where Ramsdale went long and Arteta was... Uh, shouting over at him saying go short go short he even mimed rolling the ball out he was like if you want to roll it out roll it out but yeah. he wanted Arsenal to keep the ball at the back um, and that continued for about 20-25 minutes of the first second half and then it changed actually once Pepe came on Arteta was like go long go long into Pepe mm. I think at that point it was just about you know territory and pushing Leicester back and closing the game out but he was very, um, you know, it, it was it was sideline coaching stuff, and there was kind of a bit of confusion on the pitch about what do they want us to do. Mm. But it worked, you know, because it it stopped the flow of Leicester possession. It allowed us to get our foot on the ball and get our foothold back in the game, and ultimately uh, see it out in in great control. I mean, the stats for this game are weird because we actually had less than fifty percent of possession. I over the thought 90 that minutes. was bizarre when the game yeah. ended. I was like, what? How did that mm. happen? Because they had some decent spells where they really had all of the ball. I think that, especially that last 15 minutes of the first half, I think we we barely, you know, put two or three mm. passes together. But but when you look at the shots, you know, and the chances that we created as compared to them and the XG and all that, we completely dominated them. Just before we go into the break, we, we've talked about the game-by-game game thing. I know it's a way of keeping feet on the ground, and keeping people focused and making sure that nobody gets carried away. Um, I mean, the players must know what's 
possible at this point and they must be excited for it and everything else. But do you think in some ways that the game-by-game game thing is also a way to manage disappointment as and when it comes along? Because inevitably, at some point between now and May, at the end of May, and the end of the season, there's going to be a game that doesn't quite go our way. And it might feel like the roof has fallen in, you know, from a fan's perspective, when you've got this momentum, maybe it hurts a bit more when you lose games because, you know, so much is at stake now and everything else. I mean, do you think there is an element of that, that like when, when that disappointment inevitably comes, it can be compartmentalized much more easily by it being just one game and we can focus on the next one. I think that's a really good point. Uh, And it wouldn't surprise me if that's part of the thinking. I think that's what we'll need to do. I mean, I worry about every game, you know, sort of in my nature. I look at every game and I think, ooh, that that could be tricky. (laughs) Like this Leicester one, I, you know, I just, I had a slightly nagging doubt about it. I guess maybe because I knew it was sort of the one Mm. we really had to win, you know, to get a good, a good start this week um, with, with bigger challenges ahead. But yeah, it'll be interesting. You know, let's say hypothetically we lose to Liverpool in midweek. It'll be fascinating to see how we respond to that. You know, if, if it damages our momentum or not, maybe we will be able to compartmentalize or would be able to compartmentalize that particularly given the quality of the opposition. Mm. I think taking it game by game makes perfect sense. I mean, there's still quite a lot of games to go. Um, But you can't fault the attitude of the players, the degree of focus. The pressure hasn't told on them yet. Yeah. Um, Let's hope that continues. Let's hope so. Okay. Well, look, we've got uh, questions, I'm sure, and other topics for discussion, which we will do in Mm -hmm. part two when we return right after this. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to the ArsCast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnerBlog and at ArsBlog and also on the ArsBlog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an ArsBlog member on Patreon. You can sign up if you like at patreon.com forward slash ArsBlog. May I go first? Will that be okay? You may. All you right. May. 
I've got a couple of questions here from the Discord. First one, uh, they're both on the same thing. Um, Optimistic Gunner says, how would you rate the performance of our set-piece coach? We scored from a corner, but Leicester are the worst in the league at defending them. Are we still left wanting in this area? While Martinelli the Elephant says, goodly goodly morning, gents. Let's talk corners. I watched the Leicester game via the Premier League's own overseas coverage, and the commentators mentioned before kickoff that Arsenal had faced 115 corners in the Premier League this season without conceding once. Given we faced a further six against Leicester, that brings the tally to 121. I couldn't quite believe this, considering our recent history of hapless flappers at the back. I like that, hapless flappers. So how much do you credit the substantial improvement to our defensive personnel and how much to our new set-piece coach? Wow, that's uh, it's an impressive stat, isn't mm. it? And Leicester do have a, a dismal record on set-pieces. And, and funnily enough, we scored a near-post corner goal against them at their stadium early mm. in the season. It was Gabrielle making that run to the near-post and uh, flicking it into the far corner. Mm. Um, so they haven't learnt their lesson there. And in fact, I think Partey has basically scored that goal already this season, hasn't he? Maybe it was against Aston Villa. Um, Somebody, anyway. His other goal this season was very, very similar, as far as I recall. I think the set-piece coach has done a really good job. Um, I don't think you can argue that, you know, defensively we look more secure. Of course, individuals, personnel is is part of that. You know, Gabriel is now playing week in, week out. He's a big presence in the box. Tomiyasu, we added who brings height and aerial ability. I think ben, that part of Ben White's games has been a little bit underrated. Um, I think, you know, after that that difficult opening day against Brentford, he really has risen to the challenge, you know, literally and figuratively. Um, but yeah, credit to Nico. I mean, he's, he's, he seems to have done good work. And I think in terms of our attacking set pieces, I think simplicity has been key. You know, we've had really good delivery mm. into dangerous areas, often that near post area, uh, and we've we've been rewarded. And uh, you know, Martinelli, uh, Odegaard, Cedric here and there. You know, the the quality of dead ball delivery has been pretty good, I think, and a, a vast improvement on the days when. It just felt like we used to hit the first man time after time after time. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of overlooked, isn't it, that it was a Martinelli assist. Mm-hmm. We spoke uh, last week about having Smith-Rowe and Saka as um, one and two in the players under 21 with the most goal contributions in the Premier League this season. Mm-hmm. And Martinelli was fourth, yeah, um, you know, far, behind yeah. with Phil Foden there in the middle. So that's another contribution from him. Yeah, and it was a good delivery, nice and flat. I mean, less to be disappointed they're defending, but it was into a mm. dangerous area. I, I think uh, set pieces have been quite a substantial improvement, actually. And it's a, you know, it's been a long process. They had a set piece coach, Andres Yorkson, working there last year. Yeovers come in. I think it's gone to another level under him. Mm. Um, Do you remember in pre-season? Do you remember pre-season? Was it, I think we were watching the. Um, did we? We did play Chelsea in pre-season because that's when Thomas Partey yeah, got hurt. Emirates, yeah. And I think we were a bit weak from um, from set pieces. And we were like, well, who's this new set piece coach? What's this guy all about? <laughs> I mean, maybe maybe we should have given him a little more time to do his No, work. that was plenty of time. <laughs> no, but of course, like time is everything with this, right? It's about yeah. becoming embedded in the, the body, the muscle memory, the system, the understanding. Um 
and it's working very well. I mean, that defensive stat is is really excellent, and uh, long may, long may it continue. I think as I think as well, we've got a goalkeeper who comes off his line a little bit more than Leno. That probably helps at certain points in games, just to come and punch or catch. He was very solid with that yesterday. I mean, there was one ball that he gave a tremendous fisting to. Um, when it came in uh, but you know he was really solid all day um, with his catching and his his, um, yeah just how dominant he was at set pieces and I think I think you're right that does play a big part I think it's I think he's a curious character around still because I think in a funny way like uh, some goalkeepers are very um, kind of placid and steady but I think that he's much more uh, adrenal character. And I think when he makes a big save, like he did in the game, I think it helps him. Like in the 60 mm. seconds after that save, he came out, caught a corner, booted it 60 yards onto Sasaka, who couldn't quite bring it under control. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, do, I don't think that's coincidence. I feel like, you know, he's a real confidence player. And, and when he makes a save, his game goes up a level. Um, and I thought this was a, a good return to form for him. Um, but yeah, I, I think the set piece defensively, that's really, really strong. And, you know, it's a big part of the game and maybe it's a part of the game that for too long we were guilty of kind of, I, w- I wouldn't say overlooking, but maybe not putting the right emphasis on. Fair enough. Shall we have another question? Why not? Um, uh, because I haven't got one. No, here it is. <laughs> it's from the land. Big question this, uh, on the discord and the land says, I'm a newer fan and wasn't around for the glory days. Is this what it felt like in the few years before? I, 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 think, I think it's a no. I don't think it did, really. It's hard to put the two things in the same context. Yeah. Because what, what were the few years before? I mean, before Arsene Wenger? It's I not quite so, the same because, like... We were almost an aging team at that point. We know? were, and there was obviously a rebuild. Um, but I'm not sure quite how much expectation there was around Arsene Wenger when he took over. I mean, I think there was hope and there was optimism and, and you could see that, that something was was changing. But this is... This is um, this feels a bit more like... The expectation is more about a team trying to reclaim something it's lost quite recently, mm. if you know what I mean. And it, it, it's, it sounds maybe wrong because the last time we won the title was 2004, which is 16 years ago. And, the, yeah, I don't quite know. I mean, we'd won the title in 91, in 89, and then we'd drifted a bit. I don't know that it is the same because I can't quite remember feeling feeling like we had so much to prove back then, if that makes sense. It was like, well, where are we going to go under this new French manager? And then in his first full season in charge, we won the double. So stuff happened pretty quickly, you know? And even in that double season, 
do you remember we lost against Blackburn or something like that? And there was a big team meeting and everybody had to come together and talk about, you yeah. know, what was going on. So I'm not sure there was the expectation that this was a team that was going to win the win the league that season. Midway through it, there wasn't that expectation. But I think the the coverage and the analysis and, and the awareness of every aspect of the club is much more um, in-depth nowadays. So it's... It's kind of like comparing apples and oranges, you know? Yeah, for me, this period now is much more reminiscent of that kind of um, 2006 to 2010, you know, the the, the collection of young talent we mm. had in Fabregas, Nasri, Van Persie, Walcott, I guess, you know, that group of young players... Um, and the idea that you you had a sense at that time that you know this was going to go one of two ways these guys were either going to stay at arsenal mm. and be a, an astonishing success or go to the very top of the game in other fashions and i guess we you know what ultimately happened with that group it was a bit of a mix and a max mm. you know some 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 good some, some bad some some good some bad but the potential, you know, we spoke earlier about the ceiling was just enormous. And I guess it's a similar level of excitement I feel now. I don't think there are that many parallels with um, kind of the arrival of Wenger and the start of that era. What I don't remember and what some people who do remember tell me is that there are maybe more parallels with, with George Graham's reign. Yeah. I mean, you can, you can point to focus on the defensive side of the game as a way of stabilizing, bringing through a lot of young players, moving on some of the big name stars and, and all that kind of stuff. So I think there are certainly some parallels between uh, Arteta and, and George Graham. Um, again, George Graham, I think, he, you know, he came from Millwall. So it wasn't like he was, um, you know, had a huge track record as, as a manager, but he did have more experience, obviously, than, than Arteta. Um, but those kind of disciplinarian traits, certainly, and how he built a squad, you can see the parallels there for sure. But I, I, I do, again, think this is sort of apples and oranges, chalk and cheese in a way, because simply because of how different football is now to, to back then. Yeah, I think that's fair. All right, here's a question from Elliot Ross, who's at Elliot underscore Maybe underscore, underscore, Ross? Is that just one underscore? I'm not sure. Um, but he says, should Arteta publicly raise the issue of refs failing to protect Bakayo Saka? Every single team we face seems to target him with rotational fouling, late tackles, cheap shots. Would there be any downside to making refs and the media aware of this pattern before he gets hurt? Well... I mean, Arteta's spoken about about the refereeing, the officiating more generally, and I'm not sure it's done us any favours. I mean, you know, I'm not saying it's made it worse, but I haven't noticed much improvement since then. Uh, I suppose we did actually get a penalty yesterday. And no um, bookings or red cards. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> Actually, it has worked to treat. I don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I would like to see him speak about Saka specifically. You know, Saka is a player who invites contact, right? It's part of his style. Yes. You know, he wants a guy to get close to him so he can spin him or hold him off or, or, or brush past him. Um, it's a feature of his game. 
But with that comes a certain degree of risk. I mean, Jack Wilshire was a player who invited contact at times, you know, invited the challenges so he could kind of try and dance away from them, didn't always manage it. And I think it cost him pretty dear. Um, fortunately, Saka seems to be more robust physically, touch wood, cross everything. Um, but it wouldn't hurt, would it, to say, look, you know, this boy is the kind of uh, bright young star potentially of English football. Yeah, he needs a bit of protection. I mean, I think a lot of other managers probably would have already done it by now. Yeah, I, I would, I would like him to do it. To be honest, um, he doesn't have to lambaste officiating. He doesn't have to be hugely critical. He just needs to put it out there because there were a couple of moments yesterday there was one in particular around the 70th minute i've just watched it again here and it's not dissimilar from the james MacArthur one where he just gets fucking booted in the air he gets there and whoever it is the the left back from leicester i'm not sure which that uh, which, guy i mean that guy must hate because Saka. he has a torrid time against him. yeah uh, what's his name i've forgotten the guy's name is it way. justin or thomas or bill thomas, or one of those yeah. i don't know <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah anyway if you, if you watch the replay, Saka gets a um, gets the ball first, nicks it away. The bloke absolutely just kicks right through his legs. Boom! Oh my god! And he's on the ground. Referee has a look. We have the ball. He tells us to play on, and that's fine. Play on, by all means. Let us use the advantage. But go back. Go back and give that guy a yellow card because it was absolutely a yellow card offence and it didn't come. And there was one late in the game, I think, um, I think Daka, Pats and Daka got booked, which it looked really bad, but it was one of those where he just kind of stood on the back of his heel, which is a bit painful, but I don't think it was particularly dangerous. But there have been more than one, well, there has been more than one occasion this season when Saka has been on the end of the kind of treatment that England internationals usually get protected for and he doesn't whatever it is whether it's his robustness as you say his ability to get back up referees think well he's all right like he gets up every time so it's it's bound to be okay there have been a few this season where i think he's been lucky not to get hurt Mm. and as his stature grows and as his profile grows and as his talent develops and other teams are looking for ways to stop him, I think they will become increasingly more physical. So I don't see any problem in putting this out into the ether. Make it public. Yeah. Express some concern about it. You don't have to go crazy. Just express some concern about it so it's in the minds of referees when he is, as he always is, fouled repeatedly throughout games. And I think you're right to say it is in, in part a consequence of how he plays. And the way that he plays, that he not invites that contact, but because of the way he gets the ball and spins off defenders, he's either going to get kicked when he's trying to spin or he's going to get fouled as he's driving away from them Mm -hmm. or he's going to get fouled as he gets towards the penalty box because they can't take the ball off him. I think that's just part and parcel of him. But look at the stats. No Arsenal player has fouled more than Bakayo Saka. And I don't think the amount of yellow cards commensurate to the amount of fouls that he receives are, are quite in the same um, in the same column, if you like. Yeah, I agree. I think put it out there, play the game, you know, put that in referees' minds. Mm. Uh, I would do the same if I was Mikel Arteta. And I think 
I think the only other thing to say is while I haven't enjoyed seeing Bukayo Saka kicked all over the place this season, um, I do think that over the course of the campaign, he's, he's actually become sort of visibly stronger. Like I do think that um, one of the upshots of it is that he's his upper body strength. Mm. I don't know if it's something he's been working on, you know, in the training ground, but or it might just be maturity, but it really is kicking on. So uh, I want them to stop kicking him. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But even when they do, they can't stop him at the present time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's yeah, he's a, a handful. Um, you know, even yesterday, where I don't think he was quite at his his best. There were moments where he just terrorised Leicester and yeah. all they could do to stop him was foul him. So. Absolutely. Um, I've had a lot of questions about Cedric again, actually. Uh, James Baker said, should should, shed, yeah, should Cedric Suarez should Cedric Suarez be in the conversation with Trent, Reese, James and Cafu? <laughs> uh, <laughs> And, and then Robin said, maybe a little bit more measured, can we get an appreciative word for Cedric Suarez? I can't say his name anymore, Cedric Suarez. 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 The fact we are not missing Takira Tomiyasu uh, as much as previously feared. No headlines, no major incidents, just a guy doing a very good job. Proof of good cover in many positions. I think he's done pretty well. Mm. I think he's done pretty well. Although I did, you think were a bit worried about him yesterday. I was a you? bit worried about him yesterday. I think Harvey Barnes, Harvey Barnes. He's I a good player. He is good, isn't he? I like him actually. Um, I was. It seemed to me like there were moments when Leicester. I think he's just got a little issue sometimes with players being able to run off the back of him too easily. I think there were a couple of occasions yesterday where that happened, um, but in general, I think he's done pretty well, and one of his greatest talents uh, at the moment is making sure that he is the first man to the goal scorer after he scores to make sure he's in all the pictures. Yeah. If you yeah, look yeah. through the pictures, who's there? Cedric. Cedric That's and Lacazette. Cedric and Partey. Whistle, he went straight for Ramsdale. He, he knows how photogenic that boy is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He knows Ramsdale's going to give it big at the end. And uh, yeah, he was right <laughs> in there. Look, fair play. Um, you know, he's... I'm not completely convinced by him as a as a player, but in the absence of Tommy Asu, he's done pretty well. He's got a big, big, big test now, though, on Wednesday, because I don't think Tommy Asu is going to be back for that, uh, based on what Mikel Arteta was saying and how cautious they're being about that injury. Tom, Tommy Asu's injury is not a, it's quite a bad one, but it's as bad as the first one, basically. He's yeah. being downplayed, but essentially he's done the same injury on his other calf, yeah. I think. I don't know why they're sort of week to week being like, oh, we're assessing him because he hasn't been particularly close the last couple of games as far as I know. Um, yeah. I I think it's just a reticence they have to put anything out there in terms of team news Yeah, um, because they don't want to show their hand to the opposition in any way. But I mean, not that it makes a great deal of difference when you have a really small squad like ours. Like nobody's looking at Arsenal right now and thinking, what way are they going to change? Gonna play? Yeah. yeah. Who are they going to play? What's the, you know. So I'm not quite sure I understand it, other than I guess they just want to keep as much of that information secret as possible. But look, Cedric has done well. Um, I, I still worry a bit about him 
on that right-hand side because of the the issue that I mentioned. I think there have been a couple of careless passes in the last couple of games as well. There was one against Watford. There was one yesterday. But it's a team effort. It's a collective effort. We got in well and we did well to to defend those situations. Um, So, uh, look, he's playing his part. Uh, We need him right now. And, yeah, I, I don't have anything else to say on that. So, Yeah. I think that's fair enough, and and if he does play Wednesday, as looks likely, as you say, that will be a a very mm. big test. You know, if it's Mane or Diaz, they they've got some options. Yeah. Okay. Here's one um, which I thought was quite interesting from Dear McKelly, who's at Dear Mu nine one eight five two three three eight who says, mm-hmm. Goodly morning, gents. Great performance and result. However, something I've noticed is that when Martinelli approaches the opposition box from that angle, moves are breaking down in increasingly predictable fashion. What do you guys think is the next phase of development uh, for Martinelli? Does he mean sort of when he's sort of coming in to kind of open up his body to mm. shoot, you know, sometimes the release of the ball to the overlap isn't isn't the best. Or... I, I think what he means is that basically the shot is uh, come inside on your right and look to curl it with your right foot into the far right hand corner. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. Maybe there's just a, not enough variety there. Well, I think that would be fair. I mean, the thing is, you don't want to rob him of that hunger for goal. You know, in that no, no. directness in his game. I think it's good that we have someone who really has that. Um, nature I do think it would help him enormously if he could go on the outside as well so you know uh, it's one of the things that's so great about Saka right that when he's in that position he can genuinely push it out onto his right foot and and deliver a cross or a shot from there I think Martinelli maybe just needs to add that variety I mean also I think sometimes looking for the overlap you know if you if you establish that your pattern is you come in onto your right and you shoot but then you play the overlap or the reverse pass mm. that's going to catch people out so I, my main reaction is one is that I I wouldn't want to rob him of his directness I think it's mm. an important trait in his game what, what do you think? I, no I, I agree but I also think this is just a question of maturity, really, and experience, right. where I think he's very comfortable on that right-hand side. He, we know he can finish with his right foot. Um, but as we saw, let's say, let's use Aubameyang in the FA Cup final as a great example of when a defender expects you to go that side, but you're capable of going the other way, as yeah. he did to Zuma, um, cut inside and, and scored the winner in the FA Cup final. You know, that is a, that is something that will come with time and experience and, and everything else. Um, and maybe there's also some variety in terms of where we can give him the ball and the kind of positions that we give uh, him the ball in that might help with that variety as well. But he's only 20. And I do think that we've seen progress from him this season, um, which we've talked about before, I think elements of variety to his attacking play will come with time. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, couple of questions there were about uh, Granite Shacker. I think. I mean, this okay. one really uh, was, was was funny, which was Love Gemberg who said, "Were you surprised that Shacker did not get a red card for handball?" <laughs> um, 
I mean, it was a weird instant, that, wasn't it? I mean, it was kind of Sunday League uh, rules where he was like, oh, it's going out, I'll just catch it. Yeah, it was a bit weird. I can't remember seeing anyone (laughs) doing that before, really. Um, I know, I mean, he wasn't going to keep it in. He wasn't going to keep it in, so I think he just thought, well, I'll fucking catch it. But yeah, quite amazed he didn't even get a booking for it because it is very very deliberate handball. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe Mikhlatis's word with the referees has done more than I imagined because yeah. Shaka didn't even get booked for that. But the question I really want to do is from Desi Ars, who said, do you think we are underestimating what Shaka is bringing to the table in that left eight role? He might not be as effective in attack, but his defensive positioning is quite good and his ability to drop into a double pivot next to Partey is key to controlling games when opposition are having joy in possession. I think the issue is really is, that, you know... <sighs> It's not that he's not capable of making passes, because he is. I think he had, uh, let me just see here, um, three key passes yesterday. You know, only Odegaard had more. Um, so he is capable of finding passes in the in the final third. It's just that he is a little bit slow. His feet are a little bit slow. And when the guy on the other side is Martin Odegaard doing what he does, I think Xhaka looks even more slow um, in comparison. And there were moments as well when we were breaking and he carried the ball forward. There was one where he carried it forward very well and spanked a shot over the bar. Maybe mm. he should have um, made a pass, but you always think that when the shot goes over the bar, you think, well, you should have taken the other option. I don't necessarily blame him for, for having a shot there, having driven on and, and everything else. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I think he. I think it's just that that little bit of slowness when you're in those positions and you're looking to do things towards the opposition's final third, it's it's very often quickness of feet that makes the difference. And he doesn't necessarily have that to his game. But I think most of what he did yesterday was 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 really good. I mean, he was pretty good defensively as well. Um, he does give us some aerial presence. Um, and like we talked about earlier on, that trio, that midfield combination, those three, they seem quite compatible. But this goes back to what I was talking about at the start. And again, I'm not downplaying Shaka or anything like that, but there are a couple of positions where you think if we can get the right player in there, it takes us to not quite a different level, but you could see how we could go up again. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. How the how the team could improve exponentially with somebody who is maybe a little bit more mobile, more agile, and quicker of feet in those areas. But you know, I, it feels this morning a little bit churlish um, to talk about that in a way because Xhaka played his part in what was a very good win yesterday and what is a very good run of form from this team while he's being asked to play in a position which I'm not. I don't think it. Um, doesn't suit him, but it's not his most natural position, if you like. No, I think he is a little bit of an awkward fit. I think he's a little bit of a square peg in a round hole. I'm not saying he's not doing a good job. I think he is. And I think that him being there uh, brings balance to the team and I think also reduces the sort of reliance on him in in certain areas where he's not strongest. Mm. Um I also think that that kind of experienced trio of Party, Shaka, Lacazette, kind of in the middle of this team, are probably quite important. Yeah. Um, 
So I'm not in a hurry to uh, replace him or anything like that, especially not between now and the end of the season. Um, but I agree with you that there were certainly moments in yesterday's game, I mean, I think in all the games recently, where you thought a different type of player in some of these advanced areas could add um, you know, an extra layer of threat. Um, it's, uh, you know, playing a kind of sweeping... 40-yard pass out to the fullback from inside your own half with all the game in front of you. It is a very different thing from kind of a an intricate uh, six-yard through ball to mm. the fullback or to Gary Martinelli, whoever it might be. Uh, and not many players have, have both those things in their locker. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, there's a kind of uh, a necessity to kind of dribble in those parts of the pitch. I mean, you look at what Odegaard does. I also wonder as well, you look at the right-hand side, you've got Odegaard and Saka there, two lefties, essentially. Mm. And then on, and then we've got Shaka. And you do wonder if we had a right-footed player sort yeah. of pushing infield with an overlap outside him, would that make more sense? I, I kind of think maybe it would, actually. Although Arteta's always enjoyed having these left-footed players in his team. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot to consider. I think... And, you know, I think there are games where having a steadier Shaka-like player in that role is maybe going to be more valuable. Maybe if we had, you know, a pure attacking midfielder there, that that would incur too much risk and we might pay for it defensively. I don't know. But clearly, come the summer, you know, that is an area of the pitch um, mm. that we'll need to be looking at. And I thought it was interesting. I mean, I wrote about this last week. And from what I understand, the coaching staff see Sambi more as someone in the party position, you know, as the kind of yeah. deepest player. Um, so not necessarily someone playing that number eight role. I don't doubt he could do it, but I think in the long term, that's where they see him fitting in. So again, that increases the need, I think, for someone who can do that job. Mm. Here's one, actually, you mentioned him, but um, Fleds on the Discord said, uh, great win, but I'd like to ask about Tavares and Lokonga. How vital is Europe next year for their development, considering they are now clearly second choice when we have a full team? To me, they are, are both promising players, but need regular starts to develop. Um, so yeah, what, mm. what, what do you reckon on on that? I mean, I he is someone who played very regularly for Anderlecht. He was um, captain of the side, so he's having to take a a slightly back seat in our season, especially in the second half of the season when there's been that consistency of selection. Um, but do you think that was kind of the plan anyway? That this would be like a developmental year for him? Um, you know, coming to England, new club, all that kind of stuff, learning the Premier League, uh, and that maybe they were, you know, they were buying him, but maybe thinking longer term about, you know, how and when he starts to become a more important um, asp um, player in the team. Yeah, I mean, he's had one appearance since mid-December, um, and that was against Burnley, the game he started. Uh, I... I think, to be honest, he played a lot more football in the first half of the season than anyone would have anticipated. Uh, I don't think that was the plan, mm. necessarily. I mean, Arsenal lost Partey, then they lost Shaka. Um, and I do wonder if there's a degree to which that's kind of being uh, evened out. Mm -hmm. um, he had that very difficult evening at Anfield in November. And to be honest, he hasn't played a load of football in the Premier League since then. Um 
I, 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 it's an interesting one because he's been in and around the Belgian squad and there's a World Cup mm. at Christmas. So he'll definitely want first team minutes. I think the question hits the nail on the head, really. If we can get European football, and I think our chances of some sort of credible European football, and by that I mean Champions League or Europa League, are, are pretty good right now. Mm. Um I think those games are going to be of real use to him. I mean, that's that's one of the interesting questions, isn't it, about Champions League versus Europa League? You know, if we get Champions League football, I'm not sure that means a lot more game time for someone like Sambi or Nuno. Well, it if might we get- do in the Premier League, though, you know, because there are going to be games where you might think, okay, we are going to have to rotate. You know, there there are games. You, Arteta even said it at the weekend when talking about Champions League and in his pre-game, pre-game press conference and everything else. The idea that if you do get Champions League, you've got to have a bigger squad. And it's not just to play the Champions League games. It means that you have to be able to bring in a, a measure of freshness and, and and everything else when you're playing Premier League games as well. So, you know, if it was Europa League, you'd say, well, they're going to get six games in the Europa League group stages, minimum. Mm. But if it's Champions League, maybe, you know, maybe for four of those games, you've got to play your best team because of the quality of the opposition that you're facing. And then what do you do at the weekend, you know, if you're playing, um, you know, important Premier League games? So I think it's about getting them ready and making sure that they're ready to, to come in and, and for those changes to be, if not seamless, but as seamless as possible. Yeah, I, I think the unfortunate thing for those guys is that we went out of the FA Cup quite as early as we did. You yeah. know, second half of the season, your league t- your league team is pretty settled, you know. Even if you're in Europe, the group stage is over by then. Often it's about then balancing your league campaign with the Cups and and the other opportunities do come in the Cups. Arsenal, of course, went out to Forest in the third round, the first opportunity. Um, So I think that's a few games we might have had there that would have given Mm. these guys a few more opportunities. Um, But yeah, I'm not especially worried about that. I think they both probably in the first half of the season played more than Arteta or even they would have expected. Mm. Um, and I think that's just kind of evening out in the second half of the season. Do you sort of broadly yeah, agree with that? Yeah, I think so. I, I, you know, clearly Tavares was brought to be back up for Kieran Tierney. And I think Sambi was brought to be basically, as you say, maybe uh, they're grooming him to be like a party um, backup slash replacement at some point down the line, you know? Um, but Shaka had a big injury. So Sambi had to play quite a lot. Um, and I do think, you know, this is this is something that they would have thought about when they bought him. Like, you know, are they buying him now to get him for a price that um, makes him affordable, if you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Whereas in, you know, a couple of years, if he develops, uh, you know, if he'd stayed another year at Anderlecht, let's say, and had a very good season there, then he becomes a player that maybe not quite out of our price range, but maybe we have to think about doing things slightly differently. So they got him now because he's a player they want, even if they think he's not 100% ready for, um, you know, first team action week in, week out, which I, you know, I think we're seeing. No, I couldn't find this question specifically, but on the subject of these kind of squad players, Sambi and Nuno, we've got three games this week. Do you expect any or much rotation? Or do you think Arteta will just try as much as he can and keep consistency in the starting eleven? Yeah, we did. We'd won from the Discord speckled Jim, who says, what does Mikel do on Wednesday? 
And there was another one from, let me just get this here, uh, Dips, Dips with a Z, who said, mm. I would love to hear your thoughts on when, if the right time to rotate Smith Rowe Pepe into the starting lineup. Um, I don't think he'll do much in terms of no, rotation. Right. No, right. Mostly because there isn't a great deal that he can do. Um, realistically, is there? I mean, I think Smith-Rowe's the one, isn't he? He's, he's the one. If Smith-Rowe started against Liverpool, I wouldn't be surprised. But he did express some caution about him because he wasn't feeling too great after having COVID. And he said he's had some aches and had some niggles and stuff like that. So he's not necessarily in in uh, the best shape fitness-wise because he's been out for a little while. But I think, I think he's going to push these players in the next five days, five, six days um, against Liverpool. Big effort then against Aston Villa. I mean, it's, I don't want to say it's unfair that we're playing Wednesday night, then Saturday morning, but, you know, it couldn't be any shorter. But I think what he's going to do basically is ask more or less the same team to do um, to do the job for those games. And then there's a, a break, an international break. Um, so Yeah, like a, a guy like Laka. Yeah, he gets a fortnight off basically after that, you know. Yeah, so maybe yeah, yeah. you can push him a bit more than you would. Plus, they haven't been run into the ground in the last few weeks anyway, because of the gap mm. between games. So I think it's I think when they've sat down and and planned this out and they've had their team meetings and the staff and the coaching staff and the players have have come together. I think the the message will be this is going to be a big tough week. Everyone's going to have to dig deep. There's not a lot we can do when it comes to rotation. Saka, Pepe, Smith-Rowe, Martinelli. Beyond that, beyond that, who are you bringing into the team? You know, Tommy, mm. if he was back, but he's not. So it is what it is. The players we have are going to have to do the business. And uh, I think that will be, the, that will be the, the plan. Just consistency of selection because we don't really have any significant way of moving things around too much so he's going to ask those guys to to really put their hard yards in in the next two games well I guess once we beat Liverpool everyone will just be buzzing and you know exactly. the momentum will carry them through against Villa correct correct I think that's the I think that's the right way of looking at it um can we just finish with this one if you don't mind yeah um we had a lot of questions um and comments about Ben White mm-hmm. um Philip Mann says, did you see Ben White giving Lacquer's head a very thorough rub after his penalty? Does it have magical powers? And he just rubbed his head for about 10 seconds after he scored. Yes, I think that's like a wind-up in the squad. I I think, uh, because a couple of others have done it to Lacazette. I think I'm I'm sure I've seen him bite back at people. Was it Nuno Tavares, maybe? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Was whacking him on the head, yeah. 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 (laughs) Uh, But on the uh, Discord Honey chat name says, is Ben White the funniest player to watch? Between the open field tripping of opponents, picking grass off Ramsdale's face and poking him with the ball, I can't think of funnier shithousers to put on an Arsenal shirt. I'm not sure how well you have seen this or if you've seen it at all. Um, I mean, there was a moment early in the second half where we had a set piece out on the right-hand side, and as we were waiting, waiting to take it, Ben White was, like, pushing, um, I think it was Ricardo, the right-back, who took a bit of exception to it. And there was a bit of like, 
you know, that kind of pushing and shoving in the boxes there, settling, uh, setting up for a free kick. And the referee yeah. came over and Ben White just sort of looks at him and went, what? I don't know what's going on here. Is this holier than thou face? As if there aren't cameras. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, there was another one like in the Wolves game where he took the guy out off the ball. Well, I know I this that. is gonna. I know this is gonna come back to bite him. I know it is at some point. But I fucking love it. I absolutely love it. And late on, when Ramsdale was was hurt, <laughs> he was very seriously hurt. He was. Uh. I. I. I can't claim to be a lip reader of any great distinction, right? Right. But I'm almost certain that when Ramsdale goes down and Ben White uh, bends down to see what's going on, Ramsdale says, "I'm okay." Right. <laughs> I'm. I'm 99 right. sure. Somebody else can look at the footage. But then Ben White starts to pick grass off Ramsdale's face because he puts his face in the ground. He's just picking bits of grass off his face. And then as he's getting up, as he's getting up, he just kicks the ball into his chest, <laughs> which is brilliant. But some, uh, let me find the tweet here. Um, let me see. It comes from George Stoneman. Is that George Stoneman? Um and he said, I, I love, uh, he was talking about Ben White. He said, I love his relationship with Ramsdale, picking bits of grass off his face and then kicking the ball in his nuts when he was on his knees. And then when he was on the golf thing on YouTube um, oh, that yeah. he did the, with the, the guy from Soccer AM, what's his name? Fucking Veins. Tubes. Tubes. Um, he said, Ben said to me in the middle of the game, when you make a save, I just want to punch you in the face. <laughs> <laughs> And I do I like mean, that. That's very funny. I like yeah. that relationship. Like, and he's quite a quiet guy, Ben White. He seems like a sort of quiet, innocent guy. But I think he's also got a bit of something going on with, with the referees as well, where they look at him in a way that, that maybe helps him get away with certain stuff. Well, yeah. I mean, look, he's got a sort of, uh, I, I guess, a kind of uh, ingenue, innocent face, right? And mm. uh, maybe that helps him. I really like him. I have to be honest. I really mm. like him. I, li I like everything about him, the way he carries himself, the way he doesn't seem to sort of give a shit about anything. Um, you know, even his answers about, even like little sort of idiosyncratic things like insisting on being called Benjamin or saying he doesn't really watch football. Yeah. They kind of endeared him to me. I just thought this is someone who doesn't really care what other people think of him. Mm. And I think on the field... To me, he seems like a super smart, switched-on operator. Like, I think he's a high IQ footballer. In and mm. you know the decisions that he makes in game are generally very, very good. I think. I mean, I've said this before, but like, I, I honestly think he could play for anybody. Like, I think he's got that quality, and I think he can get better. Don't get me wrong, mm. but what an exciting prospect that is, right? Yeah. Um, well, that's I think a, he's been a fantastic signing. I mean, 50 million quid we spent on him. And to be in a position now where I don't think too many Arsenal fans would challenge that is quite remarkable, given the degree of expenditure, you know? Yeah, I mean, look, I had some, I had some doubts when we spent How 50 million not? quid. How could you not, exactly? Uh, at that price, yeah. But here we are what are we, six, seven months down the line, maybe a bit more, um, 
But I think we're looking at the transfer business we did last summer through the prism of greater trust in the decisions that the club are making when it comes to recruitment as well. So if, you know, let's come this summer and we're linked with a player and everyone goes, what? And the price is a bit like, I think there'd be greater inclination on the the part of Arsenal fans to trust that decision-making based on some of the other uh, deals that we've done. You know, Ramsdale and White in particular. It's like yeah. 50 million on this guy from Brighton? Really? Is that what, okay? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I like it, paying the English tax, all that kind sure, of sure. stuff. But 50 million is a lot of money for a central defender. But as we said at the time, if we were looking at it through our most optimistic eyes, 50 million, if you get seven, eight seasons out of a guy, is not that much, you know? No. Um, and and if I, he plays every week, yeah. like he has been. And I like it. I like what he brings to the team in terms of personality and the way that he's... Like, we don't hear a great deal from him, but you can see from the way other players interact with him and the way that he interacts with other players that, you know, he's a fairly strong personality. You know, he's not necessarily a screamer or a shouter or whatever it is, but you can see he's got presence for sure, yeah. as a as a personality and, and also as a footballer. And I think he can get better and I think he will get better. And actually, um, I've seen things from him this season where, where already he has made improvements. There were some issues early on in the season where I thought he went to ground a bit quickly, a bit mm. too early, a bit more, a bit too inclined to try and make the spectacular tackle. And he doesn't really do that anymore. And maybe that's a consequence of the team being better defensively or whatever it is. But if you're looking for improvement, if you're looking for a guy to look at things that he's done in a game and say, okay, I need to do it better. I need to be smarter or whatever it is. I think we're already seeing that. And I think the the partnership between himself and Gabriel is going to be so important for this team. Um, You know, having that consistency of selection at center half, um, I know we talk about the back four, the back five, and, and being able to select players consistently there is, is obviously a good thing. But in particular, the spine of your team is what everybody talks about. And we haven't had the greatest spine in recent years. And I think these two are are developing into that in a very, very um, impressive way. Yeah, I just feel like nothing phases Ben White. You know, he mm. seems... Um kind of immune to fear and it enables him to take risks on the field that other players wouldn't and I think generally that improves him I, I yeah I, I really like him you know some players just speak to you I guess more more than others and he's someone who you know mm. ticks a lot of boxes for me I think he's I think he's a class act I hope he doesn't punch Aaron Ramsdale in the face though after a save because <laughs> you get sent I would off put it for past that. him well you get and sent off thing, yeah that's true and actually you know, we've got an international break coming up now. And on the one hand, um, it would be, a, I think, ridiculous if he can't get a call up at this point for the England squad. Like, he should absolutely walk into that squad given yeah. his performances. But on the other hand, very happy for him to stay at London Colney and rest up. So, um, you know, get on his get on his sunbed and, uh, you know. Well, I think he, uh, I think he deserves the call. Turn that tan up. I think he absolutely he definitely deserves does. a call. You know, and even uh, yesterday on Sky, I mentioned this to you on WhatsApp, but uh, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank was was talking up um, Aaron Ramsdale as 
the number one for England because he says every time he looks at Jordan Pickford, he's like, where's the mistake coming from? Where is the mistake coming from? Which I think, you know, maybe is a touch unfair because he's done pretty well for England, but he's obviously playing for an Everton side that is um, not doing particularly well at the moment. Actually, there was a question about that. Um, Gary Hunt, who's at Mole Cheese. Oh, God, that just made my stomach turn. Imagine the cheese of a mole. No, thank you. No. Ugh. I wouldn't like to milk a mole and then make cheese out of it. <laughs> <laughs> That's right down my list of but things Gary that Hunt I want to do. Gary Hunt might indeed want to do that. He could be an expert in that. He could have a mole farm selling mole cheddar or whatever it is. But he said, would relegation for Everton push push Calvert-Lewin to the top of the summer shopping list? Well, they, they really like Calvert-Lewin, but he's had such a kind of non-season mm. in some ways. Um, he had a decent start, scored a couple of goals, and then he's just had injury problems, illness. Everton are obviously terrible at the moment as well. Um, so when he has played, it's not like he's been getting chances. So relegation, I guess, would make his price potentially come down. Certainly would make him uh, even more amenable to a move. But I guess the decision Arsenal would face is whether they'd be prepared to kind of go all in on him after a year in which... You know, he's, he's, he's not had the best time of it. Yeah. Um, be a risk, certainly. It would. Um, I mean, what is the problem he's had this season? He's had a... Let me have a look here. Injury uh, history. Yeah, I don't think it's anything that anyone's particularly concerned about in the long term. Fractured um, toe, it, it says yeah, here. Yeah, impact injury. So, I... You know, but I, he's not he's not set the world light, has he? No. Um, but I guess if you really like a player, uh, maybe that endures. Well, I mean, it, if they go down, it makes him A, more available, and B, perhaps more affordable, because Everton yeah, I mean, are going to have to... A relegation merchant in Ramsdale, that turned out okay, so... Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting question, isn't it? I mean, normally we get asked around this time of the season, any players going down that we think you think we should be looking at? Um I mm. guess if Everton were to go down, then there's got to be one or two well, I mean, you know, him, players in their squad. Richarlison. Yeah, Richarlison, is, yeah. Um, They'd be the obvious ones, I guess. I mean, that, uh, I mean, I, I, not that I have a soft spot for Everton or anything like that, but, I mean, Frank Lampard getting relegated would be just so funny. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't be great for his CV. No. You know, being the, the first man to relegate Everton in a hundred years yeah 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 yeah. what an achievement (laughs) all right um let's leave it there for now it's a busy week of football obviously um so we will be previewing on Patreon we'll preview the Liverpool game tomorrow um we'll have a post game podcast for you on Thursday which will probably take the place of the um the Arsecast on Friday because then we'll preview the Villa game on the Friday on Patreon as well. It is a bit all over the place. You're not around on Thursday, uh, so it won't be an Arscast Extra. We will have a preview podcast on Thursday, though. For now, we will leave it there. Thank you, as always, uh, for listening, and we'll catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. 
Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.